I'm Jeff. Great to be with you this morning and great to begin a a new series this morning that you'll see on the screen. Over 200 years ago, a movement began in the UK and the USA uh, that we call the Restoration Movement. And they set out to restore the church to its New Testament origins. They believed it was important to let go of the things that were marking them in their day, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, and restore the churches they were part of to what the church looked like in the book of Acts, in the New Testament church. And by the end of the 19th century, the Restoration Movement was the fastest growing religious group in the United States with several million members. And that is the movement that we are part of as a church. We don't talk about it very much today, and this series is probably going to be a whole lot of brand new information for almost everyone in the room, because it's not something we major on. Here we're known as Churches of Christ, and in Queensland, as you can see from the uh, the fancy banners on the side, 140 years old this year in Queensland, and our church here in Kansas Lakes Church is just over 50 years old. We were planted here as part of this movement in 1969. So today and for the next several weeks, we're going to dive deep into the rich history of the Restoration Movement. Not because we want to hold on to our traditions, because you'll soon discover that letting go of traditions is one of the key features of our movement. And not because we want to glorify the past, because you're going to discover pretty quickly that our founders, the key founding people of our movement, were just as fallen and just as messed up as you and I are. But because we can learn from the past, there are some important deep convictions about Jesus and some important ancient truths about faith in him and what it means to be a community of people following Jesus that we need to let us reshape us in this era for us as individuals and us as a church. So I want to introduce you this morning to one of the key founders, kind of the the original, the OG of our movement, Thomas Campbell. Now, Thomas was born in Ireland in 1763. His dad had been born a Catholic, but became an Anglican. And Thomas, when he grew up, eventually became a Presbyterian minister in Ireland. Now, in that time in the UK, all over the UK, the churches were hopelessly divided over all sorts of splits and meaningless issues that meant they just did not get along and did not accept or like each other at all. And I want to give you some examples just to help you understand um, where Thomas fits in this and why he became so passionately unsettled as a Christian, as a, as a minister. So in 1733, before Thomas was born, quite a few years before he was born, the Presbyterian Church of Scotland that he came to to be part of split over an issue about who is allowed to or who gets to appoint pastors to churches. Now, in those days in in Scotland, the government was the ones who appointed ministers in the Presbyterian church. Churches didn't appoint their own pastors. Sorry, the the government didn't appoint pastors, but in, in that day, rich landlords got to appoint pastors. That was just the way it was. If you own the most property in a town, you're the one who gets to make the decisions about who the ministers are for churches. And Some people thought that that, that's not right. Like churches should have that right to appoint their pastors. And so the church split. And you had the Presbyterian Church of Scotland. Then you had the Seceda Presbyterian Church. And then in 1747, the church split again. And this time, because anyone who became a burger, not like a hamburger... Um, but a minor government official, like someone who worked at the council. When you took on that role, you had to take an oath. 
and you would say that I, um, let me get the language right, I adhere to the religion presently professed in this land. And so basically saying, I'm going to follow whatever the, the main religion of this land is. And so people are like, well, but what if that's, what if that's the bad church? What if that's the Presbyterian Church of Scotland? Well, I'm not going to profess allegiance to them, so I'm going to be an anti-Burger. And so the church split now into three. You had the Presbyterian Church of Scotland, the Burger Seceder Presbyterian Church, and the anti-Burger Seceder Presbyterian Church. Um, now, all, each of these three churches had their own structures. They were a denomination, each of their own, and they sent missionaries. Thomas Campbell wasn't even in Scotland. Thomas Campbell was in Ireland in a church split over government issues in another country that didn't even affect him that much. So he was born, and then after, in his time as a, as a minister, the two seceder movements split into old lights and new lights. So the old lights said, yes, the government can continue to have a role in our church and in planting new churches, but the new lights said, no, the government should have no role in who we are as a church and planting new churches. So Thomas Campbell is a Presbyterian minister, but if you met him in the street and asked him what, who he was and what he did, he could never tell you that he was a Christian. That was not enough. He would have to say, well, I am an old light anti-burger seceder Presbyterian. And that would be very important to him and to you, apparently. And each of these groups held their beliefs so strongly. They had Bible verses. They had deep spiritual convictions about these things. And they had hatred of each other. Which leads to an old joke about a man in that time walking across a bridge. And as he walked across the bridge, he saw another man standing on the edge of the bridge about to jump off and take his own life. And so the first man ran over and he said, wait, 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 don't, don't, don't do it. You have so much to live for. The guy goes, yeah, but, but what? He goes, well, well are, you, are you religious or an atheist? The man says, well, I'm religious. He goes, well, so, so am I. That's something to live for. You know, are you, uh, are you Catholic or are you Protestant? And the man on the edge said, well, I'm Protestant. And the guy goes, well, me too. And are you Anglican or Presbyterian? He says, well, I'm Presbyterian. And he goes, oh, so am I. And, and within Presbyterianism, are you Church of Scotland Presbyterian or Seceder Presbyterian? And he goes, well, I'm Seceder Presbyterian. I am as well. See, we have so much to live for. Now, are you Burger Seceder Presbyterian or are you anti-Burger Seceder Presbyterian? I'm anti-Burger Seceder Presbyterian. High fives all round. So am I. And are you Old Light anti-Burger Seceder Presbyterian or New Light anti-Burger Seceder Presbyterian? And the man on the edge says, I'm New Light anti-Burger Seceder Presbyterian. And the first man says, die, heretic scum, and pushes him <laughs> off the bridge. Thomas Campbell agreed with you, that those divisions are ridiculous, unnecessary. He didn't want to have anything to do with them. He tried to bring together at least, at least the new lights and the old lights, because it was in his time they split. He thought these divisions were ridiculous. And he had a point. The church Christians need unity. And not just because it's a good idea, not just because it's effective or economical, but because it was Jesus' idea originally. Jesus said to his disciples the night before he died in John 13, 34, he says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, in the same way that I've loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world 
that you are my disciples. The church needs unity. And the restoration movement began primarily as a unity movement to bring Christians together, to set aside unnecessary divisions. And this founding principle continues to shape our faith and our church today. Now, I find it really surprising and and quite sad that what Thomas Campbell experienced weren't biblical divisions. You know, they weren't over a different way of understanding the Bible. They weren't particularly theological or, or spiritual. Now, they all had Bible verses. They all had strong spiritual convictions about their differences. But the things they divided over were primarily government issues. You know, how involved should the government be in appointing pastors or in planting new churches or in uh, if you're taking an oath as a government official, how important were those things? They are important issues, absolutely, but they are government issues. They're issues that it's good to discuss, good to have conviction about, good to study the Bible and see what it says. But Thomas Campbell's conviction and the founding principle of our movement would say that Jesus' idea of unity is far more important than any of those differences. That those things shouldn't have divided the church in Ireland or Scotland and that those things shouldn't divide the church in Cairns. Now, thankfully, in our 50-plus year history, we haven't experienced a split like Thomas did. And I hope that we never do. But for some of you, it came pretty close in the last few years. And again, over the role of the government. And for those of you who are still here, for those of you still committed to this group of people, this church, I trust that Jesus' idea of unity played a big part in your decision to stay in unity with your brothers and sisters here. That despite different convictions about vaccines and masks and mandates and check-ins, that Jesus' idea of unity and his desire for unity overcame those important differences and distinctions. That even though you found in the last few years that you disagreed with your sister or your brother in the church family, that you were able to love them and have unity with them because of Jesus, that we didn't have to divide over those things. And we're coming up to another one this year, the referendum on the voice to parliament. Let me guarantee you that you will find people in this church community who disagree with you about your view on the referendum. And so you should. The issues, the referendum is very, very important. But sharing different views or convictions may cause temperatures to rise and tempers to flare. And you and I are going to need to remember this year what Jesus said. Here's a new commandment. Love each other. As the new nation of America took its first steps, around the time of Alexander Hamilton, the guy from the musical, our friend Thomas Campbell set off on a boat. 
And he went from the UK to America with great hopes for this new land of new opportunities to leave behind the sectarianism and the divisions of the UK and to start afresh with unity in the US. He was so keen to see and to express the unity that he saw in the New Testament, but he found when he got there that divisions were already in place. But he was so passionate, so convicted, that he began to practice something totally revolutionary in that time. He started to practice this idea that when we have communion as a church, he's, he's a pastor, so when I, when I lead communion for my church, I invite people who are there who aren't part of our denomination to have communion with us. An open table, they called it. He was brought before his denominational hierarchy on charges of heresy, and suspended because he thought that Christians should be able to have communion together. Now, what, during his suspension, he still spoke in local churches if they invited him and, and did what he could. And he started using this line. He would say, we are Christians only, but not the only Christians. We are simply Christians. We are followers of Jesus. We don't need all the labels. I don't need to be an old light anti-Burgess seceder Presbyterian. I can just be a Christian. Christians only. But also, we're not the only Christians. There are many, many others, and we love them and accept them. So Churches of Christ, the movement that our church was founded out of, began as a unity movement, giving full recognition and validity to the personal faith of Christ followers in whatever movement, whatever denomination, whatever church they may be found. Awesome, beautiful. And you'd think... That a movement that started in that way, a movement that survived the American Civil War because they knew the issue of slavery was critically important. It was a moral issue, but they allowed each other the freedom to disagree. They, they survived the American Civil War that they could survive any issue. But it wasn't long after that a really important one started to split the unity movement. Was it? the nature of the Trinity? Was it racism? Was it the role of women in church ministry? Was it sexuality? Was it different translations of the Bible? Unfortunately not. It was whether churches should use an organ or not. There are some crazy stories about this time in, in our history. This is in the church in America. There's one church in Indiana. They did not have an organ in their building, and they didn't really care about the issue. They were just kind of like, it, it doesn't matter. We don't have one. We wouldn't mind if we did. But a, a, a new pastor joined their church and started preaching to them about the evils of organs. And all of a sudden, these people that didn't really care about organs started to go, oh, maybe there's something in this. And so they started to explore the issue. Some of the members of that church, they ended up leaving to go and found a new church that did have an organ. There wasn't an issue at all until someone started making an issue of it. But the best story is perhaps from a church in Missouri. They bought an old church building that already had an organ, had a pipe organ in it. Can't get rid of it, but they locked it off so that no one in their church could touch the organ. Now, over time, people in that church thought, this is just a little bit over the top. This is a little bit too legalistic. We're, we're more progressive than this. And so they left and they formed a new church. And they were pro-organs, but they didn't have an organ. So the anti-organ church had an organ that they didn't play. And the pro-organ church didn't have an organ, but if they had one, they would have played it. It's just absolutely ridiculous. 
So to fill you in a little bit more about this, this season of our church history and to keep talking about unity, I want to introduce you to Brian Paris. Brian's going to come and, and join me on stage. Would you give him a little, a little welcome? Seeing as you have no idea what he's going to do. <laughs> Brian and, uh, and Hannah and their girls are new to our church family. So this serves as a, hey, a way to meet Brian. Hannah's over there. Hi, Hannah. Um, and, uh, and he's going to tell us about his experience of the church. So why don't you introduce yourself and, and your family and how did you come to be here at the Lakes? Yeah, so um, uh, we worked with uh, Pioneer Bible Translators up in Papua New Guinea for 12 years. We're originally from the States. I'm from uh, Delaware. Hannah's from North Carolina. Uh, we were there for uh, quite a while and got settled in uh, in there. And I be, eventually became the branch director, and they've asked me to be the Pacific Area Director, which we thought about a relocation and ended up coming to Cairns, coming to the lakes. Uh, when we uh, were there, we came to Cairns quite frequently. Our middle daughter was born in Cairns, and so this was just a church that we've been visiting for probably eight years now. Uh, so it just made sense to settle in here as soon as we got here. Mm, yeah. Awesome. Well, it's great to have you here. Welcome to Cairns. Welcome to our church. Um, tell me, uh, well, t- tell us, what was your introduction to the restoration movement in the U.S.? Well, I was uh, born and raised in a restoration church in Delaware where my grandfather was an uh, elder pastor. And uh, eventually now my father is the, the preacher at that, at that church. Um, but it's, it's in the blood. My great-grandparents uh, attended a, a church, a, a, a restoration church in the Kentucky area. And it probably goes further beyond that as well. But that's just, it's just who we are and what we did. I grew up in it and didn't know anything else for a long time. Mm. You might have an ancestor that hung out with Thomas Campbell. Yes. Maybe. Yeah, very close. There yeah. you go. Cool. Yeah. Um, and, and so we're talking about unity as, you know, the, the Churches of Christ and the Restoration Movement being a unity movement. And what was your experience of the, the unity of the church growing up, even just within the, the movement? Yeah, as a, as a child, I, I can't remember being explicitly taught this, but I knew instinctively that, that we were really the only Christians. That everybody else, the church down the street, all those people had something fundamentally wrong with them. Um, except for the people who didn't play the organ across the road. They were all right. We, we obviously had a piano and, and an organ. Um, they were all right. They were just a little bit, you know, weird about some stuff. Um, and so as a, I have many memories, my grandfather uh, sat at the door and welcomed people. And people would come because we were a church of Christ, which could be... Non-denom- or, or, or non-instrumental or could be instrumental. You never knew. As in like music or no music. Right, music yeah, or yeah. no music. Mm. So the Christian church, that's definitely the music people, but the Church of Christ could go either way. And the sign on our door was one of those, you know, either way ones. So somebody visiting would come, they'd be really nice and, and greet and everything, and they'd see the organ and they would turn around and sprint out. And uh, my grandfather would try and chase them down just to give them directions to, to but nope, can't. We can't deal with that. And that's, you know, that's in the 1990s. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, and so what, what was it like for you? You, know, you grew up and joined um, Pioneer Bible Translators, which, which comes also out of the same movement, and started meeting other Christians. So, so coming from this idea that we are the only Christians, as opposed to Christians only and not the only ones, um, what, what was that realization for you about unity like? Yeah, I think... It, just actually being exposed to other people who think differently. I went to, uh, my undergrad was a Restoration Movement Bible College, so that was very insular. 
there was no other ways of thinking there. Um, so then when we went down to start training for PBT in Dallas and realized that we were actually with the, the on the Wycliffe Training Center and being trained by Wycliffe uh, uh, missionaries and things, that's when it's like, oh, wait, wait, what's... You know, you're sitting there trying to figure out, you know, oh, that's a Methodist and that's a Presbyterian. And you're just being exposed to all these people who are just loving and gentle and humble and have spent their life serving Jesus on the field that suddenly the idea of judging them as not being Christian, that it just didn't make any sense compared to the actual people that I, that I was meeting. Um, yeah, so it was really just being exposed to other people and, and having the unity around the mission is what, you know, what drives the, the, the unity back together is, is really recognizing what we need to be doing. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, we didn't plan to talk about this, but um, the, other, the other day at the church picnic, you and Hannah were telling me about, you know, really um, difficult, tragic time recently in PNG for you and your family and your organization and how um, Wycliffe and SIL just jumped on a plane. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you gave them a heads up, hey, something's happening, I'll need your help soon. And then without even realizing, within hours, they were there to support, yeah. which is a, a great expression of that. Yeah. Um, anything else come to mind about, you know, about um, th- that being a, 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 a unity movement who wasn't unified at all, <laughs> but then how you see that now and, and expressions of unity today? Yeah, I think expressions of unity to me is really just about loving people, you know, and not getting into the the nitty-gritty of their very specific beliefs and trusting that that the Holy Spirit and Jesus is is working on them no matter where they are, you know, and in the end it's Jesus who is the judge, not not me. So each day the people that I interact with, I don't have to figure out, are, well, are you Christian enough or are you not? Like the whole purpose is, is loving people and bringing them closer to Christ, whether they believe almost exactly the same as me or they're all the way to a non-believer. Whatever, wherever they are on the spectrum, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Um, and just, yeah, loving, loving people and, and sharing uh, your faith and your story with them and hearing about theirs. Those are the, the things that matter, and that's the way Jesus did it. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Brian. Would you thank him, please? Thanks, Mike. <laughs> Welcome them and uh, get to know them if you get a chance after church in other ways around the church. Uh, a, a great family, new to Cairns. So the restoration movement, despite its failings, really began with good intentions and, and at times in its history tried to reclaim that sense of unity. And, and not just because of Jesus' idea, but it was also Jesus' prayer. So in John 13, the night before he, he died, um, he said to his disciples, here's this new commandment, love each other. And then later that night, Jesus was praying by himself. And we have recorded his prayer from John 17. He said in verse 20, I am praying not only for these disciples who are with me now, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, just as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me, that we may be one, that we may experience such perfect unity for, for our sake or, or for our benefit. That, that's not what Jesus was praying, but so that the world will see and believe that God the Father sent Jesus the Son and that he loves you and me and us together. 
So when churches don't fight, when Christians stop cancelling each other, then the world can understand the love that God has for us and can listen long enough to find that Jesus went on from that idea and that prayer to die on the cross to take away our sins. Years ago, I remember hearing um, Bill Johnson from Bethel Church um, preaching, just a a podcast. And it was a week that another um, well-known Christian pastor in California, the state where um, Bethel is, had publicly um, attacked, like verbally attacked Bill and Bethel and and their church and and what they believe. Um, Because there, there are lots of differences between all sorts of different churches. But this pastor had felt it necessary to go on on the public attack and cancel them and their church. And I heard him preaching to his own church that next Sunday. And he said this thing that has always stuck with me. He, He acknowledged what had been said. He chose not to push back, not to retaliate, because he said, I'll never treat as an enemy someone who takes the name of Jesus. I'll never treat as an enemy someone who takes the name of Jesus. We are Christians. We take the name of Jesus. And even though there are differences worth discussing, and there are differences worth expressing differently in different churches and different friendship groups and small groups and denominations, there's no need to cancel or write off someone who claims the same name and grace of Jesus Christ that you do. I catch up regularly with um, some other pastors from around Cairns. We'll have coffee together and share um, often quite vulnerably about what's going on for us and for our churches and and pray for each other. And we get on pretty well. Um, But there's some really good reasons why we don't just all sell our buildings and start meeting together. There's some really good reasons why we don't just move into the convention center and all the Christians in Cairns just have church there. Um, I, I actually don't want to be a pastor in any of their churches. And if they were honest, they would never, ever have me anyway. (laughs) But that does not stop unity. That does not stop the ability to love each other, to be one, and even to present a united front as Christians and as churches, when we can accept each other as sisters and brothers, rather than thinking of each other as enemies. Now, even if you look at the New Testament, at the, the, the early church, which is perfect, you'll see divisions starting to emerge in the New Testament. There's something within us. There's some rebellious, proud, sinful attitude that, that wants to think that we're right and everyone else is wrong and to reject them. A bit like the cartoon that'll be on the screen. That's sometimes how we think about the history of the Restoration Movement or of our church, that here's Jesus And then it all branches out. How visible is that? Oh, you do kind of need binoculars from the back, hey? So it's like a class teaching about church history, all the different denominations and movements. And then the teacher says right at the end in that little spot there, so this is where our movement came along and finally got the Bible right. And the student goes, Jesus is so lucky to have us. There's something in us, something rebellious, something sinful that resists unity. And sometimes it sneaks up on us. Because unity doesn't have to agree on everything. We get confused and sometimes we think, okay, unity means that I have to, we have to agree on everything, but that's not what love does. Love doesn't have to agree on everything. Love can stay in unity despite disagreements. And 
Sometimes it sneaks up on us because we think that unity has to have in and out categories. We get confused and we think that they're the only ways. You're either in or you're out and there are clear lines. But Jesus doesn't ever seem to be as concerned about those lines and boundaries as we do, which means we don't have to cancel each other. Jesus was a lot more concerned about the attitude and direction of our hearts. And so we can stay in unity, even if we sit with different points of view. Unity doesn't have to believe that I'm right and you're wrong. And unity doesn't have to do everything together. Sometimes we think, oh, to be unified, we've got, we've got to all be together and do everything together. Combine and merge and everything's got to be in unity or unified. But that's only one possible expression of unity. Unity starts with a humble attitude. Unity says that we're all in need of grace and forgiveness from Jesus. Unity says, I am not the only one who could be right. In fact, it's possible I'm wrong. And unity doesn't presume that anyone who thinks differently or acts differently are heretics that I have to stay away from or cancel. And if I have that humble attitude, if I believe that we're all in need of grace and forgiveness from Jesus, that I'm not the only one who's right, that I don't presume that other people who think differently and act differently are wrong and heretics, then I'm free at that point to express love and to have unity in any practical way that I choose to or that God leads me to. So as we close today, I want to leave you with a challenge, a challenge to continue the courageous faith that Laura spoke about last week. So as you take up this challenge to pray and to prayer walk around your home, school or work this week, is there someone else that you could pray with? Now, Pat and Penny demonstrated this perfectly for us in what Pat shared this morning. Two heretics praying together. It's wonderful. They don't have to be particularly different than you. You don't have to dislike them. You don't have to say to them, hey, Jeff talked about unity this week and I know that I'm right and you're wrong. So let's pray together and see if we can practice this. There doesn't need to be any noticeable differences. You don't need to name it. But just as an expression of unity, could you rather than just praying by yourself, find or ask someone else, hey, could we pray together? Could we walk and pray together? Could we talk and pray together? Even let's text each other some prayers if that's, if that's all that we can manage to do. Could we express love and unity this week by praying together for our neighbours and our colleagues and our friends and our community? We are Christians only. It's all we are. We're not the Lakes Church Christians, we're just Christians. We're not Churches of Christ Christians, we're just Christians. And we're not the only Christians. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for the unity that you um, had as an idea, as a commandment, that you had as your desire and your prayer, and even that you modeled. That you had as your disciples all sorts of different people with different beliefs and practices and at different stages in their journey. But the unity wasn't about agreeing on everything or doing everything the same, it's centered around their commitment to you. And so I ask that with those um, great foundations that we come from, from that rich history, would you help that reshape us today with your idea and your prayer as our focal point for how we can be in unity with each other rather than dividing or cancelling or writing off or being suspicious of. Help us to love each other 
and be one in you. I ask in your name. Amen. Thanks.